um, this morning and all of you who are online. Thanks for being with us uh, in your living room, maybe even in your jammies. That's okay. We don't mind. The fact is that you're here. You know, I was thinking about this as um, Ms. Dan was leaving worship. Um, one of the things that we often pray around here uh, when we start is, is uh, we acknowledge the fact, we declare the fact that we, there, are, there are more than two of us and we're gathered in his name. And because of that, we know by his word that he is here too. Here's the cool thing, is that God doesn't care about distance. And so you can be in your living room and you're gathered in the name, he's there too. So not only is he here, he's there. Let that blow your mind a little bit because that's really kind of a cool thing. So um, I, I'm just glad that everyone's uh, able to, to be with us, whether you are here, whether you are online. If this is your first time here, or even if you've been here before, welcome to Thrive Church. My name is David. I serve on the pastoral staff. And our prayer today, like it is every Sunday, in fact, every day, if we're honest, is that you'd find something meaningful because we think that God has something meaningful for you. And uh, I want to start today by just a little bit of a confession I'm really good at complaining. I'm really, really good at it. If, if there was a rank in complaining, I would be like, you know, a fifth degree black belt. I would be. I admit it. It's true. And I think that I'm not the only one in the room. I think there's a lot of us who are really good at, at complaining. And most of the time, the thing, at least I've noticed this, maybe maybe there's some other things, but I, I think the one thing that we're, we're really good about complaining over is what we don't have. Have you noticed this? Uh, and it comes in a variety of different forms where, you know, it's like, I, I don't have the right tools. I guess I'm going to Lowe's. I can actually hear my, my wife's eyes rolling right now. Oh, there he goes again. He's going to Lowe's. Yup. Or I don't have the time. Or I don't have the resources. And usually, when we talk about resources, it's just a polite euphemism for what? Money. I don't have enough money. If I only had more money. That's a real key to what you're complaining about, is if you're using the term, if only. Right? So, if only. It's what we don't have. By the way, that's what drives lottery sales. Which I just saw a, a note this last weekend. The, I think one of them is like $640 million. The other one is 800 and some odd. That's over a half a billion dollars. That's just not life-changing. That's like generational changing. That's crazy. And then I noticed um, somewhere, I, I don't know where I came across this, <clears throat> but there's an article that said that fully one-third, so 30% or more, of all lottery winners, regardless of the amount that they win, declare bankruptcy within three to five years. Wow. So even if you've got a lot of it, it doesn't mean that you know what to do with it. Maybe that's one of the reasons why the Lord didn't give it to you in the first place. I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to presume what the Lord's thinking. But here's the thing. Negative is, is easier. It's, it's just easier to be negative. It's always easier to tear something down than it is to build it up. Ask any, anybody who's tried a home improvement project, right? I remember when I was working as a building contractor, I, re, I recall how I, how I thought it was going to be fun to do all the demolition, 
Yeah, demolition is fun the first time. Because then after every other project, you realize that once you do all the work of the demo and cleanup, then you actually have to do the project too, right? So it's always easier to tear things down. It's always easier to be negative. The problem is, is that Jesus calls us toward the things that we can control. Not to the complaint, but to the responsibility aspect of this. That's what Jesus is calling to us. Remember, on a number of occasions, he's interacting with people, and what does he say to them? Go and sin no more. That's a call to responsibility. Look, for whatever your circumstances are, you're forgiven, God loves you, but don't keep sinning. Do the thing that you can control. It's this constant calling back to the responsibility that we have. And in our series, uh, this one that we're, that we're in currently, I want to focus our, our attention on the things that we can control financially. I'm talking about money. And I want to invite you to invite God to be a part of your financial life. And, and we were talking about this last week, and I'm just going to kind of go over it again. I'm going to cover this multiple times, but I think this is important because the things that we can't control, there's only three really, levers that you can control. One is your income. And that's the amount of wealth that's coming into your household. Secondly is your expenses. <laughs> this is the wealth that flows out of your household. And I don't know why, but that seems really painful at times, right? Yes. And the third thing you can control is the cash flow. That's the difference between the income and the expenses. And the question is, what are you going to do with that difference? Ultimately, you have uh, some control over that. And by the way, that cash flow can be positive or negative. If it's negative, you, you might want to plug that hole real quick. But the point is, is that you have some control over that. And today we're going to talk about God and your income. Now, last week, one of the things that we learned is that wealth is, uh, is a powerful servant, but it is a tyrannical master. And you, you just need to understand that. I think that we tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to the notion of wealth, when it comes to the notion of income. Uh, we go to the extremes. We either think it's all bad and the root of all evil, which the Bible does not say that. Remember, we talked about that last week. Or um, the other side to this is that we, the other extreme is that we think that God wants all of us to be millionaires. And I don't think that's true at all because God's not interested necessarily in your comfort. He is interested in what? Your character. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about um, that again. And we make wealth our servant by paying attention to it, seeking God and what he you know, wants for us, and then directing our energy towards those things that we can control, those things that we can actually impact. And so where I, I think we ought to start, surprise, surprise, is considering what God said about it. Shall we? Let's do that. So I'm going to invite you to turn to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. It's in the first five books of the Bible. You can find it. If you've got a Bible app, you can um, uh, tap it in there. And Which, by the way, it's really kind of a pain in the neck to spell, but I notice that most Bible apps will accept DT. So you can put DT, and we're going to be in chapter 8. So you can put DT chapter 8, so you might be able to... Be able be able to find it that way. But as you are turning there, as you're punching it in, I want to uh, offer you just a little bit of context here because in this per particular part of the book, <clears throat> it is written 
to ancient Israel. So that's the audience here. This is written to ancient Israel, and I should also mention it's in light of the covenant. So God created this agreement with the Jewish people, the Hebrews. He says, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people, and we're going to lay out what that relationship looks like. We're going to call it the covenant, okay? So this is written to that group of people in light of the covenant. Keep that in mind. However, I'm going to say this as well, and I think this is important. It is reasonable to um, suggest that it applies to all humankind, not just to the Jewish people, okay? There's some reasons for that, but that's where I want to start. And more importantly, more importantly, and you need to hear this too, more importantly, it also shows us the heart of God. Because that's one of the reasons why we come to church is to talk about the heart of God. And I think this passage does show that. So it's Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'm going to begin in verse 17. God is leading them into this land flowing with milk and honey. They are to be prosperous. He wants that for his people in this case. And he says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. In modern language, we would call this being self-made. Okay? And if you've never come across this, um, then just go to YouTube or Instagram. You'll see an awful lot of it. Hashtag self-made. There's all kinds of people who are peddling all types of programs and whatnot on the internet so that you can be self-made too. It's, it's a common hazard, I think, for all of us, for human beings, to think we're self-made. Because here's what, uh, what the Lord says going forward. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Now, um, let's do a little bit of digging in here because there's some some interesting little nuances within, within the language. I think it's important. First, is he says, but you shall remember the Lord your God. So the moment you start thinking that you are self-made, he says, you shall remember the Lord your God. Keep that in mind. You shall remember. It's, it's almost, uh, I forget what the construction is, um, but it, it's almost like this imperative. You, you're, you're going to do this. And then he says, it is uh, the Lord your God who gives you the ability, gives you the strength, gives you the power. You think it's the strength of your own hand, but it's not. It's the strength that you receive from the Lord to be able to do these things, to make or produce wealth. Now, wealth is a fascinating word. I did not know this, but the word that's used here seems to be a military term. And it carries with it this idea of strength, force, or an army. Now, I'm not saying that's what the word means. I'm saying that's what the word carries with it. Is that idea. And so this etymology lends itself to the idea that wealth is a tool. It is something uh, that allows us or enables us to actually accomplish something else. Does this make sense? He gives you the ability to produce wealth. It's a very clear passage here. 
that moment that you think that you've got it all worked out and that you've done it on your own by yourself, you shall remember that it's the Lord your God who has given you the ability to do these things. But I think that you need to declare that too, is that he has given you the ability. It's trying to have a right view. So let me offer a couple of observations here. First and foremost, wealth is undeniably a powerful tool. It allows you to get things done, and it will protect you to a certain extent. Having some wealth is, is, a, is a nice thing to have. If somebody put it to me this way, cash gives you options. And I know this because um, sometimes uh, I'm working at the office and I forget to bring lunch with me, and I'm hungry, and I don't have enough time to go home. Having 20 bucks in my pocket means I can go to Jimmy John's. If I don't have 20 bucks in my pocket, I'm either going to go, go home or I'm going to go hungry, right? Until I get, get home. It's okay, I could stand and miss a few meals. It's cool, right? But cash gives you options. And here's the other piece to that. Like all tools, like all of them, it can be used positively or negatively. Does this make sense? It's, it, essentially, it's amoral. It's, it's neutral. There's no um, good or bad to it, but it can be used for evil purposes. It can be, can be done that way. Which leads me to the conclusion that your wealth must have some type of intentional purpose. And here's the thing that I've noticed, um, just kind of in my years of observation, Idle money leads to temptation. Sometimes the cash that gives you options gives you options that you should not take. And so I think that having a a job for every dollar that you have is probably a good idea. Thank you, Dave Ramsey. I think that's probably a good idea. So try to have a purpose for your, your wealth. Here's the second one. Source is ultimately God. Here's the warning. The moment you forget the real source, wealth becomes your master. The moment that you forget that it is the Lord who gives you the ability to produce wealth, wealth has become your master, and that master is a tyrant. I think that's true. So who is the ultimate source? Well, it's God. And once you have that in mind, then I think you've established the right relationship with wealth. However much or however little you have. Third, God gives us ability to produce wealth. It's not that he gives the wealth itself but he will partner with you to accomplish certain things. But you have a part to play, and I think this is an important piece. Um, Because it's, it's really easy to hope and wish for and even pray for that God would just come and blamo, give you money. So here's, here's my opinion on the lottery. Uh, generally speaking, if God wants me to win the lottery, he's going to find a way to put a lottery ticket in my hand. Except on my birthday. For some reason, I always play the lottery on my birthday. I don't know why. I just do. 
But all of this reminds me, this idea of ability reminds me of an older passage, reminds me of another Old Testament scripture. And I want you to note how God positions the first human. Try to find Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Some of you have heard me use this um, illustration before, but I think this is very appropriate. Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God took the man, this is Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and take care of it. So we know in Genesis chapter 1, the Lord says that that human beings are to, to steward all of creation. And then in Genesis chapter 2, we get a particularization of that. We get some idea of what that means. He was put in the garden to cultivate and care for it. Which, by the way, God's never revoked that. We still have to be stewards of all creation. And we're supposed to cultivate it and care for it. But here's the interesting piece to it. Cultivate it. Cultivate is an, is a, is an interesting idea. It's an interesting word. Um, you, you're supposed to work the garden. That's what he was supposed to do, right? And yes, he was supposed to take care of it, protect it, but also to nurture it along, to bring it forward. In other words, he's supposed to do something with it. He's supposed to bring it from one place to another. And, and yes, he's supposed to enjoy it. And yes, he's supposed to fashion it in a way that it's beneficial, beneficial that, it's, that it's useful to him. But ultimately, he's supposed to shape it into something that's good. Does this make sense? He's supposed to do something with it. It's not that, that Adam's just sitting in the garden picking fruit off of the trees. I'm sure he did a little, bit of, little bit of that, but God basically said, cultivate it. Do something with it. Make it interesting to you. You know, there's walls and pathways, and I don't know, maybe he had those little garden gnomes around. I, it beats me. I wonder what those look like. <laughs> you see, there's this holiness to work and to development that I think God wants for each one of us. Work is not a four-letter word. It's one of those things that, that God has a hope for it. Um, <clears throat> the Dallas preacher T.D. Jakes made a stunning observation once. <clears throat> I want to share this with you because it really stuck with me. He said, God never made a table or a chair. God doesn't do that. God makes trees. Isn't that good? He goes on to to say that it's human imagination that cultivates and cares and turns trees into tables and chairs. That's a human imagination thing. And then... He took it a step further, and this is what really gripped my own heart. He said that he serves a church of people who keep asking God for things that he doesn't do. Now, to be fair, I think Bishop Jakes is using hyperbole in order to make a point like only he can do. 
Because I think God can do whatever he wants to do. You know, if, if God wants to supply you a table and chair, then, you know, God can supply you with a table and chair. He can do it any way he wants to. If God doesn't want gravity right now, cool, let's just float for a minute, right? That, that's fine. And God can do whatever he wants to, and, and, and he knows that. But the hyperbole makes the point, and I think it's a really good one, <clears throat> that there's this partnership between humanity and God. And the Lord God gave you the ability to produce wealth. And the Lord God put the man in the garden to cultivate it and care for it. There's a partnership there. God provides the raw materials, you supply the imagination. <laughs> Remember somebody saying, well, um, necessity is the mother of invention. And I said, yes, and design is its father. And that's true. So when it comes to income, when it comes to money flowing in to uh, your household, there's a couple of interesting studies. <clears throat> there's one um, that was done uh, several years ago, and then there was an update. I think the last number I saw was 2015. But the study indicated that there's this threshold of happiness or satisfaction that when a household income, and the first number I saw was $75,000 a year, people will self-report at that point that they're able to feel satisfaction and well-being. And then I saw, um, I think it was the 2015 update, that number was about $83,000 a year. So you've got this, this kind of threshold. Now obviously you need to adjust this for, for your location because $83,000 a year in Tulsa, Oklahoma will not buy you the same thing uh, that it will in say San Francisco or Washington DC, okay? You gotta adjust for that. But when they take national averages and they're looking at these, these numbers um, adjusted for uh, local markets and whatnot, you've got this range, $75,000 to $83,000 a year. And for most, what happens is when the household income hits that amount, there's enough breathing room where they don't feel all the financial stress. Does this make sense? Some of you are going, oh yeah, I know, because I'm, I'm underneath that and I'm really feeling that stress right now. Yes, I, I get that. Um, there's another study that kind of goes along, alongside of this. If you run them in parallel, it's actually fascinating to think about. <clears throat> that wealth actually alleviates more sadness than it does creates joy. Think about that for a moment. Wealth alleviates more sadness than it does create, uh, creates joy. There's this phrase, and I remember growing, it up, growing up hearing this, is that um, you know, money can't buy you happiness. And I think that's partially true, but it sure does ease the bumps, doesn't it? I think that's the, what this study was suggesting. And it seems to be that that threshold for uh, alleviating the sadness and, and maybe not creates joy, but alleviates sadness is right around that $83,000 mark, at least in 2015 numbers. And I'm not suggesting all of this to you. I'm not saying this or reporting this to you in order for you to feel bad if you're not making $83,000 a year. That's not my point. All I'm suggesting is that there is actual scientific data to support some of these ideas that don't come out of the Bible. Ah, what do you know? 
So there is this notion that there is a, a happiness that's available or at least in a, uh, a relief from sadness that comes from a certain amount of wealth. There's measurements here, so don't feel bad. Just understand that there's some measurements. Now, the reason why I'm bringing all of this up, <clears throat> why we're even talking about finances, uh, personal finance right now, is because um, I believe that the economic conditions are right for a major slowdown. I believe that's true. And I do not want you to be unaware. It would be remiss if I didn't mention this. There are economic conditions that are right for an economic slowdown. And because of the way the economies are now intermingled, I don't think it'll just happen here. I think it's global. I do believe that. And I think it will be worse than what we've experienced in 2020. You thought that was a dumpster fire, right? But one of the things that we, we teach in leadership is that crisis rarely is the problem. But crisis will always, always reveal problems that already exist. You can see this in marriage very easily. If a crisis hits and a marriage falls apart, I guarantee you there's issues in that marriage well before the crisis. The pandemic comes along last year and it has highlighted problems that existed in the economy. It wasn't working. There were plenty of issues before the pandemic. The pandemic just kind of cast a really sharp light on it. I think that's true. I would suggest that this is not going to be a recession, that it's probably a depression. And I don't think I'm using hyperbole. I really do believe that that's possible. Uh, in fact, I think it's, it's probably likely. Um, I don't claim to be a prophet, and so I'm not going to talk about dates or mates, <laughs> right? So I don't know when it's gonna occur. My gut tells me it's probably in the next couple of years. Um, that's some of the, the data that I'm hearing. and I just find a very odd, very scary parallel between what's happening economically now and the economic conditions just prior to 1929 and the Great Depression. It's scary how those things run in parallel. And what's more, and what I find quite troubling is that the recession, the Great Recession of 2007-2008, those conditions haven't changed. In fact, the practices of the banking and financial sectors in this country that caused the Great Recession are still being practiced today. No change at all. So we've seen this, what it can do. It's almost like we've learned nothing at all. We're just continuing to walk the primrose path, and it won't be that way much longer. And so while you can, while you're able to, I want you to be thinking about your income and expenses and cash flow. We'll get to that. But just for right now, I want you to be thinking about, 
about your income, and if you can, ways to increase it. Now, here's the thing, if you can add value to the organization you work for, and it's appropriate to ask for a raise, now's a great time to do that. You should probably try. If you can find a way to create uh, another income stream, that would be a good idea too. Whether you wanna start a business, or uh, you wanna do a side hustle, something along those lines, whatever it happens to be, now is a, a great time to do that. If you can make an investment that will create some additional income, that would be also a great idea. But I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm having a hard time finding investments that aren't so overpriced. The stock market is completely untethered to all e- economic reality. There is nothing in the economy that suggests the Dow Jones Industrial of 30,000 or more. It's ridiculous. That is pure financial speculation that's going on there, and that will crash. It will crash at some point. Bond market, not much better. Um, I don't want to pay for a bond that'll give me 0% interest. (laughs) Interest rates are are just too low. And real estate's another one. I just got um, a note from the website Zillow. How many of you know Zillow, the real estate website? Yeah. I just got a note that in the eight years since we bought our home in the, on the north side of Bixby, it has gone up 25%. Wow. Um, and I know what some of the homes have, have gone for in our neighborhood. And we, Lisa and I just kind of blinking like owls, like, oh my gosh. We actually thought we might sell, but then we realized that we couldn't buy anything because <laughs> all those prices have gone up too. Does it make sense? So real estate itself is another one you gotta be real careful of. So I'm, I'm having a hard time trying to find those types of, of investments. So if you can, um, you, know, you probably ought to. Now I'm, I'm saying these things not in order for you to be fearful, But the thing that I want you to do is I want you to try to build some resilience into your household so that you can withstand an economic shock. Resilience. And I want to give you the most important piece of advice that I can. And then we can talk about the details of financials and all that kind of stuff. The most important piece of advice I can give you is to spend time with the one who has given you the ability to make wealth. That's real. That's rubber meets the road stuff. Because we could sit and we could talk about formulas and we could talk about strategies and we can talk about tactics and we can all do that, but the fact of the matter is I don't think that's what God wants to give us. I think what God wants us to do is to connect with his heart. And he's given you all of these things. But what he really wants is your heart and your character. And he will use things like pandemics and economic slowdowns in order to get your heart, ultimately. And so when you spend time with him, when you're in his presence, you ask for guidance. Absolutely. Oh, Lord, what should we do? And you should look and ask for opportunity. God, can, can we create this opportunity over here? And God's like, I make trees. What are you going to do with the trees? But ask him. 
because I think he wants to partner with us that way. And then ultimately is to trust him. That what's coming is probably going to come. The slowdown will happen within the next few years. I don't, I don't see how we avoid it. I'll be honest. I just don't see it. So we ask him, Lord, what shall we do? And then trust him. Because the one who has given you the ability to produce wealth is also the one who said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Both of those are the heart of God. And that's what he wants is for us to connect to that. Now, do you need to do the tactical stuff? Yes, you need to look at your income. You probably ought to have some type of (gasps) budget. The other B word. We, in our household, we call it a spending plan because it sounds better. But you probably ought to have something like that. And you ought to think about, you know, the legacy that you want to leave for your kids, but you probably ought to be thinking, how are we going to survive the next five years, ten years, financially speaking? But know that there's a God who loves you and will see you through even that. It may not be comfortable, but remember, that's not his interest. His interest is your character. And so the question is, oh Lord, you have given me this ability, what shall I do now? And trust him. Let's pray. Jesus, you're so good to us. You want what's best for us. And I recognize that we often get into these positions where we we get things a little backwards or we focus on the things that aren't necessarily what's on your mind or on your heart. But today we have an opportunity to to do that. We have a chance to think tactically, but also to think spiritually, righteously, and lovingly, and to connect to your heart. And my prayer is, Lord, as people seek you, financially, they would see your heart more than anything else. And it would be so overwhelming to them that it would just cause them to trust you more, trust you more. You said you wouldn't leave us or forsake us. Your spirit resides within us. We share the same headspace. You want to speak to your people. And you will use everything at your disposal to connect us back to your heart. So Lord, I pray against the fear. I pray against the concern. And I ask you to fill the people of Thrive Church with faithfulness and faith that they would experience your perfect love that drives out all the fear and that they would know that you have given them the ability, you've blessed them with the ability to create, to produce wealth and that you want to be an active partner in that. And Lord, I pray that each person here would not wait until the crisis to connect with you, that they would have that relationship with you first. I pray this all in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen.